Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton, Greg White here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. Greg, how are we doing today? Pretty good, pretty darn good, Scott. How are we doing? Doing wonderful. Uh, <laughs> the great weather continues, big week this week. And you know what? We are spiking the football with one of our favorite and more importantly, our global audience's fams, global fam's favorite guest, Rick McDonald. Huh? Special, Damn, special treat. What you get in all whatever that's called. Um, <laughs> weather's not great everywhere, by the way. Uh, that's a good point. The country is in an incredible blizzard, but you know, this is sort of you almost hate to let the word out to people up north because we're overcrowded <laughs> as it is in the south, right? That is right. That is right. So I'm glad you didn't say anything yeah. to anyone all, listening. All good to them up there. Hang tight. That's right. right? Um you know, it'll it'll pass through and they're built for that up there. All those Vikings and Swedes and all that. Mm. Well, bear down, uh, Greg, one of our favorite sayings around here, uh, this too shall pass. It may pass like a kidney stone, but mm. this too shall pass. So uh, but wherever you are, hey, take comfort in the next hour, because as I let the cat out of the bag, Greg, already. Mm. Big, big show today. We're featuring a rock and roll star in global supply chain, global business, really, in Rick McDonald with the Clorox company, who's going to be speaking to uh, the central question of, hey, what keeps chief supply chain officers like him up at night? Greg, should be an in intriguing conversation, right? Yeah, I can't even imagine what this list could be. So I think you limited him to like three or four or five, right? <laughs> Something like that. We would Which take as much... <laughs> We yeah, take as much time as you give us, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and, uh, you know, with the disruption and, you know, the fact that supply chain is in the forefront, we used to be able to hide a little bit, right? Uh, but, and, and now everyone either understands it or has an opinion about it, right? Whether they understand it or not. So um, it's just, it's a constant discussion right now. And as it should be, and as it right. should have always been. So true. So true. I couldn't have said it better myself, as usually is the case. But, uh, hey, big thanks to let's, – let's shoot right up before we bring on Rick. Uh, big thanks to both Amanda, who's with us here today behind the scenes, and Catherine, as always, uh, also behind the scenes, Chantel and Clay, really the whole team to help make uh, production happen here. Uh, and, folks, as you, as you chime in today, we welcome. We want to hear from you as well. Let us know where you're tuned in from, as always. We love connecting the dots there. So, Gregory, are we yes, ready to bring on our dear friend Rick? Yes. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Let's get the work. Let's buckle up and get the work. Let's welcome in officially Rick McDonald, Senior Vice President and Chief Supply Chain Officer with the Clorox Company. Hey, hey, Rick, how you doing? Scott, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How are you today? We're doing wonderful. Much better, much better now. And Greg, this is one of our favorite shows. I think yeah. Rick's been with us uh, three, four, five times now, huh? Is it that many times? Yeah. It is. I think so. yeah. 
Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me back. This is exciting. Yeah. Well, we had, we had to work through his agent as usual, and, and <laughs> your agent was very gracious, but uh, great to have you back. And he's got to why. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Hey. Profit, so. <laughs> uh, Max, great to see you uh, there in Indianapolis via LinkedIn. Great to have you here today. And Leah Luton. Hey, mom, uh, who is a big fan of, of your products, Rick, and excited to hear from Rick today. She Thank says, you, so great to see you. Okay. So Greg and Rick, I've got a great fun warm up question here today. One that, that, uh, means a little more to me than many others today folks is national hospitality workers appreciation day. Now we got to love on those folks every day, all day for sure. But you know, the last few years, man, it's been really a tough go for folks across the hospitality industry. So I want to start with, um, you know, uh, I've bartended, I've bussed tables, I've waited tables. I've done a lot of that stuff through my 10 years in college. Um, but Rick and Greg, Rick, I'll start with you. Have you ever had a, had a role in hospitality? Not a, not a true hospitality role. I mean, you know, my first job was uh, my grass cutting business. Then I delivered papers for the Cleveland Press for a couple of years. Um, my first job with a corporation was at McDonald's. And so I think that's really the closest I've come to being in the hospitality area. Um, I was behind the grill, but obviously my work and my colleagues' work was really important in making sure that people who came into our restaurant got what they wanted and it was cooked well. Okay, I love that, uh, Rick. A new little wrinkle that we learned about Rick McDonald. Greg, I can't wait to hear your answer here. Yeah, so I had always thought of the hospitality industry as, re as hotels, but if you include restaurants, then yes. Um, waited tables, um, and, and bartended. And I am a firm believer that everyone should do that job. It is a combination of pleasing, uh, your, your guests and advocating for them and advocating is, uh, that removes a lot of profanity and violence because basically you go, I mean, seriously, you have to come out with a smile, but you go back into the kitchen and you're like, where is my you know, dish, right? <laughs> uh, these, these people are getting antsy. It's getting cold. Um, mm. so you, you, and then you have to immediately when you walk through those doors, put on that smile and, and, uh, be cordial and, yes. and own it. That's the other thing that I learned, right? Somebody, I, I, this is one of my pet peeves is when someone comes out of the kitchen and says they messed it up, right? <laughs> Sorry that they messed up your meal. Right. But it's kind of a team effort, isn't it? Because you brought it to the table when it was so, messed up. So there, as someone told me once, and I sometimes graciously educate servers on, um, you all are they. There is no they, right? You are all we. Yes. And, and, you know, that, that's so true beyond. That's, I think that's a wonderful universal yeah. truth, Greg. I think that's uh, Rick, why it applies so much to people in business, yeah. right? Is you, you learn to own it and you learn to, um, you know, work as a team. And, yep. you know, you have, to, you have to take your part and your accountability in, in it. Yeah. I, the way I say it is we are they and they are us. They're, they're uh, anybody else at the end of the finger. It's, it's, it's all of us. Right. All right. I got to write that down. We are they and they are us. What a wonderful uh, man. Right out of the gate. Both of y'all are on fire. Rick, I love that t-shirt ism already. Hey, really quick before we move forward into kind of the core question 
Rick's going to be sharing perspective on. And we'll recognize a few folks out here. Uh, Michael Dillon. Hello from Orlando, Florida. Beautiful Orlando, Florida. Great to see you here. Uh, Amanda says everyone agrees with Greg. Everyone should work in food service or retail. And that's coming from a 15-year retail veteran, as Amanda wow. spent a good bit of time. Uh, no, and I Ashley, even think about retail. I mean, retail is not classically hospitality, but wow, what a tough gig that is, too. And foolishly, some of us have done both. Right. Uh, I would that's suggest right. pick one or the other. <laughs> um, and Ashley's tuned in. Ashley's tuned in from uh, Tucson, Arizona, and she's worked in the hospitality industry for 10 years and agrees with Greg and Amanda that everyone should do it indeed. Okay, we are they, they are us. What a great right out of the gate. Uh, Rick, Greg and I are really excited to have you back. And speaking to this question, you know, when I, when I shared with my mom, frankly, I was talking to her this morning, and I was talking about you and, and how she had seen you previously and, and mentioned your title to her. My mom, and not not to pick on mom or anyone else, but she was like, oh, I didn't realize, you know, supply. they've got chief supply chain officers these days. I said, yeah, mom, in the last few years, that's been a big trend as, as supply chains have been brought into the C-suite. And it's really been some of the silver lining. Uh, of course, it started before the pandemic, but uh, it's a big thing now. Uh, and she wrote that note down and, and was tuning in here today. So I want to start, Rick, um, you know, with that central question of what is keeping chief supply chain officers up at night. Rick, what's number one? Well, um, <clears throat> it's actually a pretty long list, Scott. You know, we only have time for just a few minutes today. <laughs> you know, we you were can, talking about that before we brought you on. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe can, just go at the top. <laughs> yeah, we could spend a whole show talking about inflation. We could spend a whole show talking about ESG. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with um, something that is not as widely talked about right now, but it's certainly real for everybody in supply chain and actually a lot of other industries as well. And that's what I'm gonna call the workforce crisis. Mm. I, I would say that's that's number one for uh, for so many of us right now. Mm. All right, so Greg, I mean, we we talk about this time and time again. It, it, no matter sector, almost your thoughts there when you hear workforce crisis from Rick. Wow. Uh, the root cause of everything that's wrong with the supply chain right now is is the workforce crisis. I mean, if you go far enough back, which is now approaching three years now, if you can believe that, it seems like it was yesterday. We sent the entire workforce of the entire planet home mm. all at once. Right. And then um, because it was either unsafe health-wise or undesirable or <laughs> fiscally motivated by some silly governments, yeah. people only trickled back into the workforce. Um, and and some, uh, some industries, like manufacturing, have just now reached the level of employment that they were at prior to COVID, and that was already too low. And, you yeah. know, we haven't said this in a long time, Scott, and that is that we had an unemployment crisis in supply chain generally prior to COVID, right? That's right. Yep. For uh, 44 million supply chain professionals in the U.S. and about a five, uh, no, what, almost 10, 10% unemployment rate. Mm. So it's a pretty dramatic, has always been a pretty dramatic issue. And because that trickle back has occurred and also because of the demand hit that we took because everyone was at home buying stuff with my money, uh, our respective <laughs> taxpayers' money. Um, 
you know, demand went way, way up and in mm. ways that no one could predict. So, yep. um, yeah, I, I think labor continues to be an issue, but it is the root cause of virtually every issue that we see in the supply chain today. Excellent, Greg. I appreciate that. Rick, I want to circle back to you. Um, anything um, when you when you survey in in a supply chain Clorox company or look at other pockets in the industry, is there are there any particular skills or jobs that uh, that y'all might struggle more industry struggles more with than others? Yeah, there there are maybe just a couple of a uh, couple of facts for the for the listening audience. You know, um, if you look at the number of open jobs, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, like in November, it was 10 and a half million. In January, it actually went up to 11 million. Wow. And that is almost two jobs for every uh, self-reported unemployed person. Mm. And so that's the, and that's across all industries. That's a, that's a U.S. only number, but that gives you kind of the sense of the, of the Delta that we're looking at there. And it's, it's massive and pervasive and it'll, It'll come up when we talk about uh, my, my next, you know, what keeps me up at night. But specific to jobs, um, technical skills, technical skills. And, mm. you know, <clears throat> our, our, um, our supply chain, uh, we've got a lot of automation. And what we're finding is we're in the past, let's call it three, four, five years ago, we could go out and fairly quickly find people who had some technical background. They might have worked on a farm. They might have been a shade tree mechanic. They did air conditioning wow. maintenance. They actually worked in somebody else's plant. You could find a lot of those folks. Today, it's a lot harder to find them. And so it's put a lot of pressure on our recruiting, um, not only kind of the pre-employment assessment and our interview skills, but also how do we onboard those folks and how do we train them and how do we keep them for as long as, as they want to stay. And you know, one of the things that we recognize is that, um, you know, part of our currency is our culture. And, and so that, that culture is something we pay a lot of attention to, but it's not replacing the, the pure technical skills that we need to operate our plants in a more digitized environment. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, Greg, we've touched on this before with Rick in, in previous appearances, the culture factor. You know, one of, the, one of the things we loved during, you know, one of the silver linings uh, in the last few years are those uh, interviews, Rick, with your team members and various plants, and they they all really embrace this that noble mission, um, you know that that was that new element uh, to to what your your team was doing. And man, I think NBC News visited plants, and you had some other outlets that did really some quality interviews. But Greg, that culture factor is irreplaceable, right? Yeah, unquestionably, and hard to maintain too when you lose a big portion of your staff and then have to bring people in because some of your culture leaders may have left or uh, whatever. I'm curious, Rick, have you, um, do, uh, do you think that generational shift uh, plays into this? You know, the, we talk about the great resignation as if it was Gen X, Y, and Z, but really it was baby boomers. Um, and they're never coming back, right? Yeah. So those two jobs for every one person, chances are good, half of those jobs won't be feel, filled, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, I, and, you know, I'm interested because I would have thought that the younger generations would embrace the more technical or technology driven aspects. And we've we talk about this theoretically, Scott, all the time. So I'm, I'm just curious, kind of if one, if generation generational shift comes into it and two, maybe a little bit about how you're attacking um, mm. getting people yeah. to take technical jobs. Yeah, for, for sure. The. Um... You know, the unexpected retirement of so many boomer generation folks during COVID 
is a, is a big part of this. There's also a, a good chunk of prime-aged men, and this was a Johns Hopkins study. There were almost 4 million prime-aged men who exited, somehow exited mm-hmm. the workforce. Maybe they're in the gig economy, maybe they're doing something else, but those, those two things combined created a gap. I, I think one of the things we suffer from, Greg, is we have not spent a lot of time promoting supply chain careers. Mm. Um, and so if you think about the bench, you know, capital B, the bench across production and non-production roles, um, we, we just have not, we haven't mined for that talent. I think there are plenty of people who would be very interested in supply chain careers, some in our plants, some not in our plants, if they knew more about it. And um, there's certainly a lot of schools, universities who are developing top-notch supply chain programs, and we recruit at most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's encouraging. That's really encouraging. Um, at the same point in time, I think we have to do more, and we're starting to do more with local technical colleges, uh, local high schools. Um, NAM has a, the National Association of Manufacturers. I'm on the board there. They have a program called Creators Wanted, mm. and it's specifically focused at how do you encourage uh, high school students and inform their parents about what types of careers exist in manufacturing and the supply chain. Yeah, love that. Love that. Uh, and we got to get out in our schools, uh, in elementary schools and, and middle schools and start early. Uh, Greg, you and I did, we're doing some of that uh, yeah, with supply, supply chain. chain. Right? Yes. Uh, so, what a great point, Greg and Rick. Uh, and I hate to move, and we could talk for hours on end about some of the workforce challenges and some of the things that we got to start doing as an industry. But for the sake of time, Greg and Rick, I want to move to number two. So number one is a workforce crisis. What's number two that keeps chief supply chain officers up at night, Rick? It's the it's the digitization of the supply chain. <clears throat> you know, we're all in various states of some level of of digital capability. Um, you know, that is that is. I, I would just say very quickly, five or ten years ago, automation was an interesting thing. Uh, some companies had it. A lot of companies didn't. But now I think it's more and more of an essential and the business case is becoming more pronounced. Mm. Okay. Greg, uh, some of your most popular supply chain summaries have been on the topic of digitization or automation or, you know, in in this bucket. So when you hear Rick say that, where does your brain go, Greg? Well, immediately to this generational shift, which is why we have delayed automation so substantially is because there was this great hue and cry that automation, robots, whatever, are coming to take our jobs. Well, those people, many of those people who were concerned about that, retired in the Great Resignation. And now there need be no apology. I mean, we've got twice as many jobs open, right, uh, as there are people to fill them. Those simple math says something besides a human has to do some of those jobs. So Uh, I think we're in an interesting place, again, because it all kind of goes back to labor, doesn't it? Because, um, you know, because the workforce has shifted so dramatically and people want these more fulfilling jobs, you know, we use the terms, this perception, Rick, of of manufacturing and supply chain generally, dark, dirty, dangerous, and dull, right? And nobody wants a job that's that, which I think is key to your point of identifying for people how fulfilling and um, problem solving and and um, challenging supply chain jobs are because people want those jobs. Yeah. So anyway, I think that the you know, the the beautiful thing is we don't have to apologize for 
automation anymore. And that also helps us uplift the workforce to do things, human things that humans are better at, right? Nobody, I, I think of all these hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people with carpal tunnel from doing tiny little tasks, you know, in a, in an automotive supply chain, right? And now that can be automated and that, you know, elevates the health of people and then allows them to do those things that people do so much better than, than, uh, automation and technology. Yep. Um, you know, Rick, you mentioned, uh, NAM, the national association for manufacturing. And again, as Greg said, all roads go back to workforce. I think they've been projecting for years now, the just in the manufacturing industry, the millions of jobs that are open that companies cannot fill. Of course, Greg, as we, as we all know, it's in all three of us here, it's, it's driving automation. It's driving for companies to find new ways, uh, to apply uh, practical automation. The other thing, when it, Rick, I'll get you to comment on when I think of the digitization of supply chain is the cyber risk out there. I think just, just this week, I think a big mm-hmm. food company was the, was the latest victim. Um, I don't want to open any sensitive doors, Rick, but I mean, cyber, I bet I'd, I, I lose sleep sometimes over cyber threats, Rick. It is on, it is on all of our minds and has been for some time now. <clears throat> I don't think there's a, a company around that's been paying attention to this space that isn't concerned about that and doesn't have plans to shore up any potential gaps they have. It's something that our um, our chief technical officer and I talk about quite regularly. Um, and we've we've actually and started maybe three years ago, four years ago, maybe even five, uh, developing plans to go out and assess where our where our risks were and what it would take to uh, to shore those up. So. That is a uh, that is a very prominent threat that uh, that most everybody's concerned about. Yeah, good stuff there, Rick. Um, okay, uh, back really quick on the subject of automation. Ahmad says automation is there to help us and improve our quality. We can save time, maybe cost, and invest it in the new topic or theme. Automation is and should support us. Ahmad, great to have you here. Thanks for sharing that. Um, you know, Scott, I, I if I could, I just yeah. I'll build on that. I agree exactly with what Ahmad said and. He mentioned the word time, and it, it's always in my brain that the enemy that we all have is time. Um, the, the time, and, and you think about the data that's generated from this automation, how do you uh, corral that, curate it, harvest it so you can get faster insights? Mm. Uh, it, with time is the enemy and accuracy is the goal and kind of data democratization as the, the end state, this whole idea of digitizing as much as you can and linking systems together will help you get to faster insights and should help you be more competitive in whatever industry you're in. Yes, Rick. Tom, Greg, what's old is new again. Tom is still our arch nemesis, right? Keeps on ticking into the future. <laughs> um, you know, that makes, thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, that's from my Steve Miller cover band. Okay. <laughs> you know uh, what? It, what it what it, that prompts me to think about is uh, how automation does. Um, it, it may not optimize for what has been historically supply chain's primary driver, which is lowest cost. But it does primary for, or it does uh, it does optimize for what should be the primary driver which is performance, right? Which is performance to the customer's standards. And today, I think more and more organizations are recognizing that they have to be fast and they have to be reliable. They have to be at a reasonable cost and they have to be ethical, you know? So uh, 
automation can do all of those things in in a very stable way and stability is key to those mm. first two, reliability right and speed so um the, the consumer's expectations are very high and their knowledge of supply chain as we talked about at the start of the show is very high right they it used to be um you know if you ran out of toilet paper you could blame target or costco now they know that it's not just one company's fault that you know we're out of tp or whatever so yeah um so everyone is exposed to the consumer these days there's really nowhere to hide and and you're starting to see more and more investment by strong manufacturers and brands into that reliability and stability or and and speed and and reducing hopefully the emphasis on just cost yeah yeah good this is this is just i mean building on that greg that is exactly right and i think what all of us are seeing is this is one way to take some uncertainty out of the supply chain if if we can digitize and get those insights faster then we have eliminated an element of time that will help us serve the consumer and the customer better i mean I was looking at something. The um, it's it's the uh, it's the global supply chain pressure index that the uh, uh, the Fed, the New York Fed, puts together, mm -hmm. and it's it's never been higher. And I I think this level of uncertainty and disruption, um, and and you know, kind of borderline chaos at times is going to be just the new normal. That's just the way it's going to be. And so, if you can use digital assets to eliminate some of that risk and make something more predictable that today isn't. Yeah, that's that's one way you can be successful with your customers and your consumers. Oh, man, so much goodness. I'd love to dive in deeper there. But for the sake of time, Rick has probably seven full plates. So we got to protect his time here today. Back to that time challenge. Right. Um, all right. So we're talking about three of the top reasons that CSCOs lose sleep at night. Uh, the first one was workforce crisis. Uh, that that maybe touched on so many others. Uh, the second one was digitization of supply chain. What's the third one, Rick? Yeah, the, the third one for me is this whole idea, this notion of supply chain resilience and responsiveness. And um, I, I, gosh, during COVID, I think a lot of us learned some really valuable, uh, well, valuable lessons, painful lessons around yeah. how resilient our supply chains were or were not. Uh, undoubtedly, and 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 we're still learning many of those lessons. They they keep they keep lingering in so many different ways. Um, uh, any examples that come to your mind, especially where maybe you're looking to strengthen um, the Clorox company's resilience, as every company is looking to do. Anything come right. to your mind? Yeah, there's. I mean, there's there are several things, but the one I would highlight is um, many of us um, for the longest time would try and leverage our spends with sole suppliers. That was kind of a time-tested approach to benefit the supplier, to benefit the manufacturer. And what we found during COVID, first of all, we had phenomenal responses from our supplier community and our third-party community. So this, this is nothing about any of that. But right. when you see demand that's 500% of your normal demand, as we did on some of our products, um, a sole sourcing strategy without a really good backup plan isn't, isn't a great recipe. And I think many of us uh, probably postponed developing uh, backup plans for those sole source suppliers in some cases. And, uh, you know, about halfway through the pandemic, we, we all wished we had done something a little bit different five years earlier. But that's that's one of the key learnings here is thinking about your tier one and your tier two suppliers 
because your tier one might be fine, but your tier two might have a sole source situation that you would want to look into. Yeah. Rick. Excellent. And you know, that what if strategy, I think we're all going to be spending a lot more time answering, you know, filling in the blank. What if this, what if that Greg, um, we've talked about this, this is like a common theme going probably to our first show, uh, supply, um, uh, the, the diversify diversification of a supply base, your thoughts on what Rick was just sharing. Well, you know, I have this, you know, I, I do a lot of thinking about ESG and supply chain performance and that sort of thing. And so I have a very simple concept here. Compliance is mandatory and compliance is impossible. To give you an example, just let me give you one example. Walmart has 100,000 suppliers, of which the Clorox company is one. Let's not talk about the Clorox company. Let's talk about Procter & Gamble one of the other 100,000, who also has 76,000 direct suppliers to it, one of which is Dow Company, which also has 14,000 direct suppliers to it. That's tier one. That's what Rick is calling tier one. Some of these companies don't even know who their suppliers are beyond tier one or beyond tier two, and some of them have seven tiered supply chains, depending on what kind of raw materials or materials that they use to to make their products it is literally impossible to know your entire supply chain and and you're trying to create resiliency and responsiveness in your supply chain hell yeah that would keep you up at night <laughs> right people you don't even know could fail you mm. right people you don't even know it, it exist could actually bring your supply chain down so that's the complexity of supply chain that i think a lot of a lot of observers and um enthusiasts not experts enthusiasts mostly with tiktok channels um that's the that's the part of supply chain that they don't get yeah right? greg why do i always leave my conversations with greg white rick uh feeling like my blind spot has just blown up it's so much bigger than what what it was rick uh but he reg raises a great point especially with really big portfolios really big um uh, multiverse uh, supply chains. Your, give your final comment here before we move on. Like yeah, <laughs> Rick, your final comment here on creating that resilience, mm -hmm. that uh, responsiveness that you mentioned, and then we're, we've got some really cool things that we're going to wrap with on the second half of the show. Yeah, this is, in my mind, this is a mindset. This is a leadership mindset thing that has to change first. We were all, all of us, were steeped in this idea of, um, of just-in-time. And especially in publicly traded companies, you were rewarded for lean assets. You were rewarded for lean working capital. You were rewarded for just as much labor that you needed and not a, not a little bit more. You were rewarded for a supply base that was really lean and thin and, you know, generated a lot of sole source situations. That now we've moved because of this sort of ongoing level of disruption and uncertainty. Now I think we've moved to this just-in-case mindset. And it is a... I'll tell you what, we've been talking about it around here for, for some time now, you know, probably close to two years. And it's a, it's a hard thing to get past um, because we're so in, ingrained in this idea that we want to be, we want to have a scarcity mindset. We want to be thrifty. We want to use the shareholders' assets well. And, um, you know, kind of pushing past that to making some different choices is, uh, is one thing we're working on right now. And I suspect other manufacturers are as well. Yeah, undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you ex expounding on that because we all have opportunities. 
Uh, you know, one last thing, not to beat a dead horse, but one last comment. Uh, we can learn so much from our kids. I mean, I've learned, I've learned, uh, I am so thankful for how they've taught me just this morning. Uh, I was talking to Ben on the way to, on the way to school. We went, we had bas- baseball practice last night, Rick, well, both York and you and Greg, both, uh, were excelled on the diamond. Um, so we're talking about Ben's batting and his catching. And, and, uh, I was talking to him about the importance of realizing that there are opportunities so that you can acknowledge them and then know where to focus to get better. And, uh, it was a great conversation, of course, as, as, as they all are with Ben, but there's so much truth there from a business standpoint, you know, and, and Rick, uh, and Greg, uh, as business leaders, we got to acknowledge and be honest with ourselves where we have these opportunities in this case, Rick with uh, resilience and responsiveness, uh, and then attack them. Right. But we can't be fooling ourselves, Greg and Rick, by pretending it's one way uh, when really <laughs> the real world is uh, a, much, a much different spot. Um, okay. I think so, there's a lot. I think there's a lot that using that kid analogy, I think yes. there's a lot that manufacturers can use from or learn from their kids, their retailers, because, um, I, and I don't know the specific numbers of Clorox, um, I'm, and I don't think I'm a shareholder. So, but I know that, that generally, I'm sorry, Rick. I will come. Maybe I'm not sure, but if uh, if it's it's if it's in a mutual fund, maybe. Um, but um, you know, I think about having worked every every element of the supply chain, retail, distribution, manufacturing. I think about how retailers had to have a different mindset for so, so long because their net margins are one to three in a good year, maybe 5% in manufacturers. And again, not reflecting on or speculating on Clorox, but I do know that the numbers are very broad. They're in the nine to 21% range. And one of mm. one company that I mentioned that is not Clorox a, approach has approached the 21% net margin after taxes mm. range. So they've been living on fat, fat margins. And they haven't had to be very efficient, whereas retailers have had to change their mindset ages ago because they take so much risk in the supply chain and their margins are so very, very tight. So I think that there's something that retailers and manufacturers can share that allows them to learn and improve uh, at every level. Um, You know, I think I've seen it because I worked so much in the retail and distribution end of the supply chain that they are super efficient. And the mindset shift that I think is important, and you alluded to this, Rick, is to shift from this cost saving mindset, which is largely ruled supply chain and even is very prominent at retailers and distributors to this risk balancing and risk and by risk balancing, I mean, cost, speed, reliability, ethics, all of those things quality, all of those things that you need to balance to be a reputable company um, against all of those other, all of the uh, um, corroborating, whatever. I'll go uh, with it. Other I'll fact, go with it. right? Because um, that's that's where when you make that mind mindset shift, that's glad I said that right. When you make that mindset shift. That's when you can really change things, but it is a dramatically different way. And I know, Rick, you guys have been very conscious to try to make that shift, but it is so very difficult after, you know, companies, some of them for their entire life have focused fully on cost savings. Yep. Okay. 
Rick, all good? Ready to move to our next topic? So, folks, uh, y'all are going to have, I would think, a very unique opportunity to learn from one of the best in the business. We get asked this question all the time here at Supply Chain Now on every show, every webinar, every live stream, you name it, across social. And that is you know, career and professional advice. So, Rick, uh, in particular, um, if folks want to move uh, successfully through their career and eventually end up to become, you know, like you, chief supply chain officer or be in the C-suite, maybe in a different function, functional area, what advice would you have for those folks? Yeah, maybe just uh, maybe just a few things, Scott and Greg. Um, first of all, a little bit of a visual. One of the ways that I do a little bit of self-evaluation around um, how am I doing in my role, my company, I have this little triangle in my head. On one side, it's the people uh, and the culture of the company. Mm-hmm. Do I like who I work with? Um, is the culture, the currency of the culture of the company, of the role, of the area of the world I'm working in, is that what I needed to be? Should I be trying to change that? The other angle is the work I get to do. I'm a, I'm a pretty restless person, and so I'm really much more about um, transforming and fixing things than I am incrementalism. Mm. Uh, and, and so it's important to know that about yourself. Like what, what kind of gigs do you like and what kind of work really turns you on and gets you fired up in the morning to, uh, to go in and have another run at it. That's the second uh, side of the triangle. The third side of the triangle is the compensation. Am I, am I being rewarded properly and fairly for the contributions I'm making as a company recognizing that? So I always have that little triangle in my head. I don't think about it all the time, but I think it's a good, uh, it's a good reference to keep things in balance as you're going through your career. I would say for folks who are aspiring to do more, uh, first of all, be really good at what you do now. Be, be an expert. I, um, I find a lot of times individuals are more interested in advancing or moving into something different before they've really completed a couple, three cycles in their current job. And I always say, you know, you got to eat your cooking. It's one thing to go one round or two rounds in a role and a couple of budget cycles, it's another to have to go those two rounds. And then the third time, reverse something you said was really, really important the last round or the one round before that, the year before that. And so I, I really, um, I, I think learning your craft, being great at your craft, that will form the right foundation for larger and larger roles. They don't get easier as they go. And you will find yourself relying on things you learn at various points in your career as you, as you move through the organization. I'd say the I'd say the last thing is um, this idea of your personal brand. Pay attention to it. Yep. You know what do you stand for? Who are you? Um, not only your version of that, but your company's version of that, your boss's version of that. And you know, be willing to go ask those questions and seek out that feedback in terms of, you know, who is Rick McDonald? Who is Scott Luton? Who is Greg White? And how do those who have the ability to help us in our careers and influence our careers? How do they see that? And be listening for the constructive bits of feedback that will help you identify a blind spot, shore up an opportunity, fill in a gap that maybe you knew you had, maybe you didn't know about it. Yep. Okay, man, Greg, that last, the last three minutes, four minutes, whatever it was, master class. I mean, we heard, I think everybody's got to be their own, got to, got to develop their own triangle, you know, that Rick walked us through because it's different for different folks. Uh, we heard be an expert, right? Before you look at other things, you get own what you're doing and be the expert there. And of course, a personal branding, which 
It, there's tremendous opportunities with personal branding these days because of the likes of social media, huge opportunities. But Greg, uh, what are some of your key takeaways as, as Rick was addressing career advice there? So specifically to the branding, it has to be genuine, right? To the point, the last point he made around that is ask people what your, what your brand is to them. Um, and my God, that is a hard conversation. Right. I mean, you, it, it takes a significant amount of intestinal fortitude to ask someone, even someone you really love or really trust, how am I perceived? Because uh, you're almost always going to get probably a friendly surprise that just shocks the hell out of you. Really? I didn't know people saw me that way. And and then you realize that's one of the hurdles, one of the one of the sides of the triangle for yourself that you have to fix, right? Are you, are you a fit for the culture? Yeah. Whatever. Right. The other is, is to first be excellent. I've always thought that leaders, um, um, I've and much like engineers and, and much like accountants, yep. I think, I think leaders are born, not built. And I know we'll get a lot of argument from Gary <laughs> V and whoever else has, has a, as a uh, TikTok, but um, but whether that's true or not, the truth is that I've seen, and I think Rick, you've seen this. You don't you don't promote yourself to your next promotion. What you do is you execute to the point that someone goes, "My gosh, we have to elevate that person. If they did that good here, by the time they get settled at this next level, they'll be you know doing that much more value for the organization." And I think that's a really, really important distinction. It's the value that you do for the organization, the outcomes that you provide to the organization that get you elevated, not not the um, accomplishments that you perceive have earned you the right to get to the next level. Yeah, yeah. There's a certain amount of humility in leaders that are almost, it's, it's kind of like the classic hero story. They're almost reluctant to get to the next level yes if you think you don't deserve it by the way chances are very good that someone else thinks that you do mm. well uh as you were sharing your response there greg i've crafted my triangle and wow. i hope i've got this right be like rick <laughs> is my triangle that is so. the simplest way to say it <laughs> uh but really rick i appreciate it as often as you know everyone's trying to get better right uh, I worked for someone one time that that said there's very few people that go to work do a poor job. Very few people. Right. So thank you all very much, both of you, for addressing that. Um, okay, before we move on, uh, we've got a few more minutes with Rick McDonald. We'll share a couple of quick comments. Uh, John Peterson had talk, been talking about offshore and earlier. He mentions risk mitigation, which both of you all alluded to. It's, it's got to be part of the total cost of ownership equation. Great point there, John. Uh, Leah? Mom says, I didn't realize that Clorox owned so many other products, i.e. Burt's Bees, Formula 409. Hey, cat litter. With two indoor cats, we go through some fresh step. Man, Mom, you're quite the ambassador here for the Clorox company. I love Clorox even more now, she says. Thank you for being a part of the show. Kingsford. Charcoal, yes. Right? That's Glad. right. Is that right also? Yes. Yeah, Kingsford, uh, uh, Hidden Valley Ranch Salad Dressings, Brita Water Filters. We've got a great lineup of brands. Man. And she also, I missed this. Thank you to Clorox for donating cat litter to shelters. I didn't, that, that makes a lot of sense given y'all's culture. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, Ahmad, I think sometimes we should present the people one or two successful examples 
then we will see better acceptance and the mindset changes automatically, mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, and Josh agrees 100%. Without examples and options being shown, some people feel like they are being forced versus having options presented with your recommendations. Great, great job, Josh and Ahmad there. Um, okay. So this next topic, speaking of Josh, I, I believe Josh is a fellow veteran. I think he served in the Army, if I'm not mistaken, Josh. Correct me if I'm wrong. Rick, one of the things that we admire so much about um, your company and who you all are as people and leaders, um, the Clorox company was recognized by Forbes as one of America's best employers for veterans. Hmm. So uh, that's, that's a subject near and dear to our hearts here. We do a lot of, to support our fellow veteran community in a, hopefully a practical, meaningful, and uh, outcome-driven way. And we share that. So for f- companies like that want to be more like like um, your company, and they want to tap into this critical and expansive veteran talent pipeline. What what would be some of your advice there, Rick? Yeah, th- thank you for uh, for noting that recognition. We're really proud of that, and as we're proud of the other uh, employer resource groups, the ERGs that we have in the yep. uh, in the Clorox company. VetNet is a um, it's a really important part of our history and our culture. And you know, I would say it this way. Um, one of our three values is put people at the center. And this was a very intentional approach to uh, recognize the value of an, uh, a group of employees uh, that are veterans in, in our company. It's got executive level support. Um, prior to me, my, my, uh, my predecessor, Andy Mowry, was the executive uh, in charge of um, uh, sponsoring VetNet. That's me today. And so we take it very seriously, and all of our ERGs have one of the senior leaders in the company as their, as their sponsor. Mm. Um, I, I would say the other thing is we have senior leaders who are, in addition to their very complex and busy day jobs, who basically take on the responsibility of, of leading these ERGs. Um, they craft a mission statement. They craft the activities that the, the ERG is going to um, uh, go after during the course of the year. And one of the things I always coach the, the, the folks on is, you know, let's have a nice, meaningful list, but we, it can't be a you know a hundred item list. There just won't be enough time or enough people to go and address that number of uh, of items. But that's that's kind of what we have. One of the ways we get there is we're very intentional about going and looking for um, veterans. Maybe they're currently employed. Maybe they're just exiting the military in, in some way or another. And so we do a lot in the recruiting space to make sure that our job descriptions are healthy in their language around interest in veterans. Um, we do it quite a bit with um, looking at the regional veterans employment coordinators. Mm. And uh, that, that really helps us get kind of a leg on, you know, who's coming out, where are they coming out? And there is a steady stream of individuals coming out of the military who are exceptionally well prepared to do supply chain work and to more importantly, to be leaders in your company. And so uh, we just consider it as a great way to win in business by making sure we're looking for a top talent wherever it is. Rick, I love that. Greg, you know, I loved where he finished. I loved all of that, but where he finished, it's, it's not because it's the right thing to do. It's because of the value proposition it poses to the business, and that's what veterans want to hear, right? Greg, your, your response to what uh, Rick just walked us through there. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm always uh, distracted by my inspiration whenever Rick talks about people. He's one of the best leaders of people that I've ever met in corporate yep. industry. So, um, but uh, yeah, I think, you know, there are so many examples, Donovan Kirkland, who's been on 
this show is another leader at at Clorox that um, we know you've had some influence on. And of course, these kinds of initiatives that you take personal interest in, um, and I know because you're a shop floor guy at heart, you love going to the plants to to meet with those people. I have a feeling if they would let you, you might put a hand or two on a machine every <laughs> once in a while and do a little bit of yourself. But yeah, I mean, I, I think, look, that this is this. He, Rick, you are a, a great example of, of uh, principles in motion, right, in action. And, um, you know, more people need to um, not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. And I've, I've been dying to say that for so long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but I think that you see that in the culture of your company, but also I think I think people who want to be a leader to to the last question that we addressed, they need to think about their contribution to important things like this, like the culture, like the people. Right? Notice, by the way, in his triangle, what was the first angle that he that he spoke about the people, people, and the culture yeah. of the company. So, um, I, you know, I think that this is something. This is a great example to the point that that I think Ahmad and Josh were just talking about. You need these kind of examples, leaders like you, Rick, to show people, talk to people, but also show people how to um, enable greatness in your organization. Yes, of course, it's always for the good of the company, but the good of the company and the good of, of the human being when you have an advocate like Rick McDonald on your side are always aligned. Yes. So, Yes, principles in action. That is Rick McDonald and the Clorox Company. I love that. Uh, all right, so Rick, um, really appreciate you carving some time out as busy as you and the team are uh, making clearly plenty of customers <laughs> like Lee Luton extremely happy. So um, how can folks connect with you? Can they learn more? Uh, what would you, you suggest there? Yeah, very good. Well, first of all, thank you for having me back again. Just uh, just fantastic. Very nice to meet your mom virtually. And thank you for being such a supporter of the Clorox company and our products. That's, uh, that's really cool. Um, well, let's see. Uh, on March 8th at the uh, Georgia Logistics Summit in Savannah, Chris Gaffney and I are uh, going to talk about uh, supply chain stuff. And we've got a great segment on the program there. And so if you're in the area, um, love to Love to have you stop by and, and uh, love to meet some folks if, uh, if, if you're available to do that. You know, past that for the Clorox company, um, you, you can find us a lot of places. Uh, at sign Clorox on um, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter. Uh, I think it works on YouTube as well. We're lots of places with, um, uh, in, in, a, in the social media sphere at thecloroxcompany.com or simply clorox.com. You'll also find a lot of information about the company. You'll also find a link to careers at Clorox. And you can go on Indeed.com and find all the Clorox jobs that are, uh, that are available. And um, we'd love to hear from you. We're looking for talented supply chain individuals. So um, come early, come often, and uh, you know, let's see what we can do about you joining the company. Man, love that. And Greg, I bet you agree with me here. Who wouldn't want to work? For someone like Rick McDonald, I know I would. I got. I'm sorry, hands I'm sorry on the, what, what <laughs> oh, <laughs> Don't you apply for a job here, Greg? Um, well, thank you, and I bet y'all are hiring. You know, given all the growth and, and the culture and the purpose-driven organization that y'all are, I bet y'all are hiring left and right. So, folks, what a great opportunity! So, y'all check that out. We're trying to make it easy. We'll also find a link to the Georgia Logistics Summit for those of you that may 
want to be in Savannah for that uh, so you can hear Rick in person. Rick, uh, well, well, before he goes, Greg, your um, your thoughts on what Rick shared here, and then we're going to uh, bid him adieu and sign off here promptly. Uh, well, I mean, uh, first of all, I don't know how you did that without a cue card, by the way, all of that, Rick. <laughs> that was pretty impressive. Um, but, I, you know, look, I think if you want to be – we, we asked the question, how do people get to be a chief supply chain officer? Um, my first question would be, do you really, really want to be a chief supply chain officer? <laughs> this is one job where I think working your way up through the ranks makes a lot of sense because you can, it gets more complex um, and more accountable, meaning you're closer to this every single time you move up. So I think it's Im- important for people to, to kind of feel their way to these C-suite type jobs. But I mean, if you want to learn the way to do it, I would just say review some of the videos that, um, that Rick was telling you about the interview by NBC of those were your, those were your manufacturing people, many of them. Right. So, um, and I think, uh, Scott, do you still have your triangle? I I do. I would say then if, you know, if, if supply chain generally is your career and certainly if supply chain leadership is your career, be like Rick. That's right. Couldn't have said it better, Greg. Uh, Rick McDonald, Senior Vice President, Chief Supply Chain Officer, doing big things for uh, the Clorox company and moving our industry forward. Thank you very much for being back with us here, uh, Rick. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Greg. Enjoyed it. All righty. Man, a breath of fresh air each time, each time. And, and you and I had the good fortune of uh, breaking bread uh, with Rick McDonald uh, probably about a month or so ago. And uh, just, man, it's got such a uplifting perspective and manner and approach and, and leadership style. So, Greg, I appreciate what you shared there because it can be all boiled down to beat like Rick on so many different levels. Folks, well, look, a lot of work goes into that. I mean, there are inspirational leaders, there are operational leaders, right? And there, and there are manage, manager leaders, right? right? And um, rarely do you find all of that in, in a single person. And it takes a lot of that introspection that, mm. that Rick was talking about to be able to get there. Um, and it yeah. takes a lot of discipline to have, you know, to, to conduct the introspection and to get the external input that he talked about. Yes. to get you there. So it ain't easy. Nope. Right? When I say be like Rick, it, it's a very, I'm sure it's a very complex picture, <laughs> right? But like, if you think about just the principles that he laid out here, yeah. those are all great foundations. And then you can find your way, um, you know, to frankly determine whether you've got the gifts to get there. You know, yes. there, there are level, levels and layers of leaders, regardless of their role, their position, their authority. Yes, agreed. And you know, to, to mess with you both, I was going to draw a parallelogram or a rhombus or something instead of a triangle and see if y'all caught that. But I, I was too distracted. Um, oh, and- rhombus, man. <laughs> That's one of my favorite shapes. <laughs> Josh says, I'll add to this. You just listed uh, a list of things folks need to know, Greg. Josh, I'll add knowledge to that. Josh says, knowing that tomatoes are a fruit is knowledge. Knowing that they don't belong in a fruit salad <laughs> is wisdom. Amen that. to that. All right, folks. Hopefully you all enjoyed this conversation as much as we have. Hey, um, you know, we're having a little fun with the bleep be like Rick, but folks, check out uh when I was preparing for this interview, 
uh, of course, was diving deep with all the things that Clorox companies up to and their accolades and their recognition and their focus on people. I mean, that's not just Rick. That is part of the, the very deliberate culture. So y'all check it out. If you're in the market looking for a new job, especially if you're a veteran, don't um, don't forget, do your homework and check out the CloroxCompany.com because they're hiring. All right, Greg, all, this concludes, uh, for the most part, a big week of programming. We finished it with our, our cleanup hitter, our Cecil Fielder here today. Uh, Andres Galarraga, little, little Atlanta Braves throwback maybe. Um, I really have enjoyed it. I'm a Royals fan. <laughs> That's right. Um, really have enjoyed it, Greg. I appreciate all of what you've dropped here through the programming this week. So thank you very much. Likewise, yeah. I mean, we're in the presence of greatness. It's it's easy to kind of play off of that, isn't it? Oh, I mean, so true. And it's so frankly educating for us every single time we do it as well. That's so right. Thank you. And likewise, I love the way you facilitate and 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 contribute to these conversations because look you know we're just practitioners behind mm -hmm. a mic right when that's it comes right. right down to it that's right uh all right folks but hey it's one thing to listen to everything that we discuss and talk about and all the wonderful perspective from our our guests but the more important thing, the billion dollar question is, what are you doing with it, right? Because it's all about deeds, not words, right? Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, on behalf of our entire team, uh, on behalf of Greg and, of course, myself, I'm challenging you, challenging all of y'all. Hey, deeds, not words, do good, give forward, and be the change. Be like Rick, and the place in the whole world will be a better place. So we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.